0: Hello and welcome to Macro Minutes. During each episode, we will be joined by RBC Capital Markets experts to provide high-conviction insights on the latest developments in financial markets and the global economy. Please listen to the end of this recording for important disclosures.
1: Hi, welcome to the June 14th edition of Macro Minutes. The past two weeks have been characterized by increased hawkishness from the BOC and ECB ahead of the Fed and BOE this week. Yields and volatility have spiked again as concerns on inflation, current and expectations increased on Friday in the U.S. To help us navigate this landscape, we have a full slate of RBC experts on the agenda today. Blake will discuss tomorrow's Fed meeting, the Fed call more broadly, and implications for Treasuries. Amy will look at option market pricing following Friday's CPI and University of Michigan sentiment reports. Peter will look back to the ECB and look ahead to the BOE and Elsa will go through the latest in FX space. Rob will give insights on the RBA surprise 50 basis point hike. And to finish off, I'll discuss recent hawkish BOC developments and the potential for 75 beats from them in July.
0: With that, uh, I'll
1: flip it over to Blake.
0: Hey everyone, Uh, thanks for having me. So um, big story is obviously the media articles yesterday citing a potential for 75 basis point hike at Tomorrow's FOMC. Um, these were wisely believed to be a leak directly from the FOMC, who obviously couldn't speak on the record, given that they're well into the pre-FOMC blackout period. Um, assuming all these stories were driven by the Fed, uh, the obvious catalysts were the string of recent inflation data that would include last Friday's uh, big CPI beat, but also, in my mind, just as important, were the spike in the Michigan uh, University of Michigan's five-year forward inflation. Uh, expectations, uh, we saw that move up from 3 to 3.3 percent. Um, so a very, very big jump there. And, um, also yesterday, before those articles started to circulate, we also saw the New York Fed's inflation survey, um, which while it didn't spike in the same way that, uh, the University of Michigan did, uh, did remain at very elevated levels. And I think, um, you know, those expectations pieces of it that are forward looking rather than CPI being backward looking, um, and also affecting, um, you know, inflation expectations, which relative, you know, have been relatively stable throughout this entire period. Um, you know, I think that's something that, that definitely probably spooked the Fed a little bit, um, perhaps even more than the high CPI print. Um, you know, the, the circulation of these articles um, about a 75 basis point, which all started to hit yesterday afternoon, and and did seem like they were part of uh, some kind of coordinated effort, or, or perhaps um, you know a, a string of uh, off-the-record interviews by the Fed or something of that nature. Uh, it did lead a lot of the big shops to change their calls for tomorrow to seventy five basis points uh, and you know it's it 's very tough to deny that that possibility has risen. Uh, quite a bit, and perhaps is the modal outcome at this point for, uh, tomorrow's meeting. But I also still don't think that 75 basis points is a completely done deal. Um, you know, I, I honestly think 50 to 75, something that's going to be discussed around the table. I think there's, uh, various FOMC members that are on both sides of the coin there. Uh, they're going to hash it out, um, you know, today and tomorrow, uh, uh, at the table. And because of that, um, you know, there wasn't actually a decision, a finalized decision. That even would have been uh, uh, available to uh, uh, to guide the press. So I really think what was probably more likely is that the Fed wanted some kind of optionality baked into markets, so they could at least have that conversation and have the option of delivering a 75 uh, without completely uh, uh, upending markets. And they did, you know, may have done this via the press um, prior to the, you know, prior to these articles coming out yesterday. I, I was steadfastly in the um, 50 basis point camp. I thought they would move more to utilize forward guidance um, to kind of push the terminal rate higher. Uh, You know, they would allow that kind of uh, uh, operating mechanism to provide any further tightening of financial conditions, rather than kind of front load, you know, further front loading 75 basis point, 100 basis point hikes, um, things of those nature. Uh, But you know, this media articles out of the blue, um, 48 hours before an FOMC meeting is really tough to ignore. you know, maybe it's just my priors talking here, but I still think 75, 50 long discussion, 50 basis points could still win out. Um, you know, I, I think at this point it's pretty clear that that would be paired with some type of strong setup for 75 in July or even uh, July and September. Uh, and it's such a bias towards kind of owning June, which uh, we've at this point we have more than an 80% chance of a 75 basis point hike baked in. Um, but you would also probably want to pair this with something like July, which also has a pretty fair hike, a uh, pretty fair uh, odds of a 75 basis point hike priced in, um, that would kind of help to cap some of the downside in the event they do hike 75 basis points in June. Um, given that July is probably also tied to the fate of June, uh, I think what, what the way markets will most likely react, um, you know, to a 75 in June is, um, is, is is you know to kind of seek that increased July odds of the 75 and even push that perhaps to 100 ba- you know, into that kind of 100 basis point territory. Uh, whereas you know September and beyond would probably be a pull forward out of those months. Um, and, and I would expect the pricing to kind of reflect that where June and July both go up, uh, you know, 75 basis points and beyond, perhaps for July, while September and November and December uh, see some of their odds of 75s or 50s taken out. Um, you know, what does this all mean further out the curve? Uh, my expectations for a while, you know, you've heard me on these calls talk about. Uh, this kind of give and take, where I think that as we go forward and more hawkish fed get p- gets priced in, uh, that comes with the expensive increased expectations for a hard landing and recession um, and because of that, I've felt that you know ten the upside to tens is relatively capped um uh, you know obviously that's a bit difficult to 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 say after we had such a large move uh, over the last few days in tens, such a large sell off um uh, but it is notable that the curve's been kind of chopping around a bit since yesterday. we had a big flattening coming into. The, uh, coming into yesterday, but on the actual uh, pricing in of that seventy five basis points, the curve hasn 't really flattened, which has been a bit confounding to me because I thought this would be much more drive much more of this kind of hard landing recession type of thinking um, you know it 's very possible that we 're still chopping around and that after the smoke settles. Um, and, you know, I could see this kind of volatility remaining into Powell's test- congressional testimony next week. Uh, but after we get through these kind of risk events um, and the smoke starts to settle, I think we do start to get back in this dynamic where the more hawkish spread expectations being priced in the front end do provide some support for the back end that takes tens back down towards that 3 percent level. And we start trading in more of a range for the summer. Uh, and I'll stop there unless there's any questions. Thanks.
1: Thanks for those insights, Blake. We'll now move to Amy for a look at the volatility space.
2: Hey, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me on. So, look, from the volatility side, clearly uh, volatility woke up post-Friday's CPI print. We now have the VIX standing at 33 spot four. We have the curve steep. The current S&P Wednesday at the money straddle was breaking even at 2.9% ahead of the Fed meeting. And look, we're waiting for the Fed with a bated breath here and all different measures of hedging demand and tails are higher as expected. So to just walk you through a couple key metrics, when you look at the one standard deviation tail, the skew, we move from the first percentile to the ninth over a five-year percentile period. The tails move from the 12th percentile to the 60th. Volavol, so the volatility of VIX, moved from 40th to 70th percentile. And RACEVOL was already high, it was in the 96th percentile, but basically moved to an all-time high. And then two key ratios that we watch, one is the SDEX versus the VVIX. So looking at if S&P puts our better hedge compared to VIX calls, that's moved close to a one-year high, essentially saying VIX calls have become expensive, And then when you look at move versus VIX, essentially a proxy of how rates vol is behaving relative to equity vol, that's still on par with each other. The way I would read that is one has not been leading the other. They're actually both kind of moving in lockstep as opposed to two months ago where rates vol was really leading uh, the entire cross asset volatility sphere. Um, and another key metric we look at is called SKU buying power. Essentially, it says, look, if on a two month rolling basis you sold one uh, 10% out of the money put in the S&P, how much upside are you buying? We've seen this metric go as high as 50 times. It's only at two times. So, you know, like how do you think about that in an environment where there's a lot of whipsaw and obviously the market has gone down? Essentially, what it's saying is even though we do see demand for hedges, it's first not really in the down 10% kind of call it one standard deviation range. It's much more in the tails. And and that has been consistently true all year. And second, it means that, you know, people are also worried about the up crash scenario here. And that's why you see that upside wall uh, expensive enough that your skew buying power is low. Um, and I can tell you from a positioning perspective what a lot of people fear that not only is the downside tail, but it is a fact that they are concerned that they have degrossed, de-risked hedge or whatnot. But if the inflection point to an up crash happens, that they cannot be nimble enough uh, to own that upside. So that's why that bid is there as well. Uh, a couple of things that we're seeing uh from the options market specifically that our team has highlighted, there's been more hedging on the bond proxy ETFs. We saw that go through yesterday uh, in your related ETFs like HYG and LQD. And the other thing is on moves like this, we've actually seen hedge monetization as well as rolling down. So there are people who are essentially taking money off the table. They've made a lot of money on hedges, especially like a day like yesterday. And then some clients are moving to even lower levels from here. A common question that I get is, has volatility peaked? Um, I'll say two things about this. The first is, while we're, we're nowhere near the peaks that we really saw in March 2020, you know, we had a VIX that hit 80, we haven't had a period of persistently high volatility as we have now. And that has been part of what has made it feel like volatility is very high, even though we're still a sub 40 VIX. And, you know, we were much higher levels. It was much briefer during March 2020 than it is now. Uh, and that has driven some of what I would say is the poor sentiment relative to the actuality of where SKU is. And then the second thing I'd say is I I was in Las Vegas a couple weeks ago for the Global Derivatives Conference and, and almost every panelist and client said the same thing. Essentially, people came into this year Prepared for the market to be down fifteen percent or so, and, and that's why, from a derivatives perspective, it felt orderly. Why you saw hedges placed and taken off and monetized. One tail risk that people mentioned was essentially people are not ready if there's another full leg down. Those tails haven't been placed, and I think that's why you saw the scramble yesterday that we saw in the derivatives environment. So again, you know, it's it's kind of two wings that are both of concern right now: the upside crash. As well as a further downside crash, and then in terms of inflection points, we continue to see it in China. Even though um, they're talking about COVID reinflection rates, we see FXI, ASHR, KWEB, all these options being bought, and uh, and we continue to see that even in down crashes like yesterday and then finally just just a note on crypto because we hosted the head of Coinbase risk strategies last year uh he now runs the institutional side of FTX you know from his perspective and and obviously this is a little talking uh of your own book here but he thinks the Celsius situation is overdone he thinks uh timing with regards to Luna Terra was was obviously not great uh but defi regulation if it is introduced at this time uh w- would also not be good for the overall environment although ultimately regulation in the environment uh, would be a net positive, and finally, in terms of contagion, to watch the Ave and uh, BlockFi protocols. And I will leave there. Thank you. That's
1: great, Amy. Very useful. Next up is Peter to discuss the ECB and BOE.
3: All right. Uh, thank you, Simon. So, uh, first of all, I look back to the ECB. Um, What the ECB has done um, was in part expected, but in part it wasn't. That's why we had such a relatively strong market reaction. So what was expected was that they ended the the purchase program, that they pre-announced a 25 basis point rate hike for their next meeting in July. Um, And what wasn't expected, however, was that they also uh, pre-announced a rate hike in September and said that if... Um, the situation as regards inflation just persists at current levels a larger move would be required so in other words they put a 50 basis point rate hike for september not only on the table but made it that default option unless things materially change to the better which seemed very unlikely now the response in the market has been twofold really first of all we've shifted front-end rate significantly higher, um, both in 2022 as well as in 2023, so the terminal rate was shifted much higher. Um, the market has been um, pricing now 250 um, to 275 at the peak rate, which is significantly higher to what the ECB has said neutral is, around about 150, um, but I think that's uh, it's not going to go away. Um, and then the second outcome was that with the ending of the asset purchase program, spreads have. Been much more volatile once again, both in the peripheral space, So, for instance, the Italian bund spread widened quite significantly, but also in the corporate space where the ECB has been a purchaser before, and where, for instance, the ITREX crossover has now priced significantly higher. We were trading uh, two weeks ago around about 420 um, in the in the crossover, currently pricing 5 So significant widening here. How do we think um, one should trade that? The front end probably don't have a lot of exposure, but if in doubt, um, I want to be a seller. Um, And um, we are short spreads, um, and I think that's, uh, that's the position to go. Now, as far as the Bank of England is concerned, which meets on Thursday, the market is currently pricing around about a 50% chance of a 50 basis point rate hike, and the Bank of England has given us almost no stir whatsoever in which direction it is leaning, just that it's um, on a hiking path. So 25 basis points is probably still the default, but there must be a significant risk, particularly against the backdrop of the ECB and the backdrop of the um, Fed meeting, that they go larger as well. Um, And then the question is, what is the market going to do thereafter? Because we have priced in quite a lot for this year already. We have priced in at least 250 basis point steps along the way until December at one point. Um, But my hunch is also, if they were to go faster, Um, or even if they don't, that the market will just roll forward expectations of more to come. How long is this going to last? Um, Well, we reckon probably for quite a while until either um, the inflation data and or the economic data significantly um, comes down. We had only a little bit downside recently in some of the UK data, so I reckon the market has still some time to shift front-end rates even higher also in the UK and then last but not least, on a trading basis, one of the trades that we have outstanding is a five-year, five-year spread, euros versus sterling, receiving euros versus sterling, and um, whenever the spread, uh, the spread uh, becomes positive. And this has happened once again in the wake of the ECB meeting, and it's probably a good opportunity to reload on those. And with that, I'll hand back to Simon.
1: Thanks very much, Peter. We'll shift now to FX with Elsa.
4: So picking up on FX... I think a few interesting points to make. First, around the big US dollar picture. As many people have seen, we're at um, multi-year high levels in the dollar index. Um, And that's prompted a lot of questions and how much further we can go from here. I think a lot depends on what your ultimate outlook is um, in terms of the bond environment. And Blake outlined at the start why we think that you should get some range trading um, as the market settles down and begins to price in some risk of recession and um, you get a bit more flattening of the curve. And if that plays through, then you'd expect the current um, dollar gains not to reverse, but certainly to moderate. If we are wrong and yields continue to rise unstoppably, the current environment with equity weakness and bond weakness is a very good one for the US dollar. It caught a lot of people off guard in April, but I would refer you back to pieces we've done in Total Effects just recently in May, as well as Charts of the Day um, by Adam Cole, where the current bond equity regime is one where you tend to see the dollar outperform against all other currencies. Outside of that, though, there are a number of other very interesting things happening as well. And in particular, if you look at the euro following the ECB, there was a lot of talk whether we're seeing the euro come under pressure because of spread widening and so on. In fact, what we've seen post ECB has been very much just a plain U.S. dollar move. And in certain crosses, euro is actually outperforming. The one cross that we would like to particularly focus on is euro sterling or, by extension, sterling Swiss. Our trade of the week for this week is short sterling Swiss. We've got the S&B coming up. On um, this week, and while many people tend to ignore Swissy, it is one of the most crowded shorts out there against the U.S. dollar. And while the S and is certainly going to be slow to join the others in terms of tightening policy, the fact that they're talking about tightening policy and markets are possibly expecting the first hike as soon as this week means that they will almost certainly have to step away from the aggressive currency intervention they have done in the past. So, short selling Swiss the trade we like, dollar we expect gains to moderate, certainly not turning into dollar bears like a lot of the consensus out there. um, But that outlook very much depends on your bond equity regime. And if you are in the camp where you think yields go higher, um, then you can expect to see some further dollar gains from here. I'll leave it there and pass back to Simon.
1: Very interesting views. Thank you very much. Uh, On to Rob now for discussion on the RBA's recent 50 basis point move.
5: Thanks, Simon. So setting the scene here in Australia, the RBA has been a late and somewhat reluctant arrival to the rate hike party, but it's quite quickly set things up recently. Um, so after the initial 25 in May, um, as you say, they expect unexpectedly hiked by 50 basis points last week. Um, I say unexpected, but it's not because the 50 was unjustified. Uh, rather, we actually applaud the move in many ways. Um, it's unexpected because they gave us every indication that they were more inclined to move in 25 basis point increments in this cycle rather than the 50s, despite that being increasingly the global norm at the moment. Um, the part of the reason we expected 25 uh, last week was that, as the governor himself pointed out, we've got monthly meetings here in Australia, not six weekly or so like many other parts of the world. So they don't actually need to use the same increments to achieve the same pace of tightening over the course of the year. We also spent some time explaining, the governor that is, in the uh, post-May presser, in response, in fact, to a question from our chief economist, Sue Lin, uh, that they saw 25 basis point hikes as business as usual and heavily hinted that this would be the path that they'd take. But of course, they went 25, uh, they went 50 basis points anyway. Um, the key here really is that this latest wrong footing for investors and many market commentators it really just adds to a broader set of communication issues that have been emerging since the second half of last year from the bank. Uh, it's been attracting a lot of criticism. Um, both in the press and from investors since that time, um, I mean, the governor's trying to be trying to talk down market pricing from the back end of last year and reaffirm the RBA's very dovish um, reaffirming the dovish forward guidance. Um, but it's had to take quite a backflip this year, and it's still not quite managing to nail down the communication piece as well as many of the other banks globally are managing to do. Um, so it has made things a bit more difficult to read in Australia, and in some of our conversations with investors as well, has actually discouraged them from um, be- being in the Aussie market, uh, so in many ways kind of punishing the, the government, for instance, from for its fundraising and so on, and certainly making things a bit more difficult and a liquid in Australia as well. The call is good because um, actually today, uh, just a couple of hours ago, the governor had a somewhat unusual interview that he gave to the 7.30 Report, which is the national broadcaster here, uh, to speak to a slightly different crowd to, the, to usual, perhaps partly in response to some of this criticism about communication, but also to, to speak to a broader and a different audience of the usual financial markets types. And there are two purposes, I think, to today's interview. The first, getting the message that, out there to many other segments of the population to try and explain what they're doing by suddenly moving to rate hikes. And then, as I said, also trying to improve perceptions of the communication and add some of the criticisms that have been thrown their way over the past six months or so. So um, where does this leave us? Um, well, we're still expecting another you know, other 50 basis point move at the next meeting in July. So that'll be back-to-back 50s. So, and again, not uncommon globally, um, just quite a change from where we were just a couple of short months ago. Um, following that, we're a bit less sure. We still think it would make sense for them to stick to what had been the path of, of 25 to to use those monthly meetings to get us to a sensible place in rates. Um, but it does seem increasingly likely that the odds are that they will need to do yet more 50s at some point again. Um, so definitely got a 50 basis point hike cancelled in for the July meeting and certainly a rising possibility of more, more than that later. The market pricing has essentially got 50 basis point hikes for the next five meetings in a row sequentially. Um, so some similar themes to other parts of the world playing out there. Although of course, like I said, we're not yet talking about any seventy five basis point hikes here just yet. Um we also have the view of market pricing, which terminal rate's now at about four and a quarter, up from four percentish pre um that US CPI print last week. Um we still have the view that that's it's very high. It's it's very hard to push back against market pricing. Um and but we don't think the bank's gonna be able to get to, to that kind of level in terms of terminal rate pass especially as we get the back end of this year and rates are substantially higher, we think the, the consumer here and the housing market in particular, that part of things of will have quite a sharp slowdown and basically force the bank's hand to stop hiking um well-short of market pricing uh, of that 4% plus terminal rate that's um, currently taking place. So what do, what do we like? Uh, well, we're still on to the US uh, cross-market tighteners, um, targeting those relative terminal rate expectations where we think the RBA caps out some are above two, but certainly not um, at the four percent plus market um versus versus the states. So basically, we've had this um, premium, if you like, priced in for Australia for some time, um, and that premium has lately been wound out a little as Fed pricing is um, outpaced Aussie. So that's worked in our favour on the oil side of things. But unfortunately, um, given we've had the trade on in swap, we've had a couple of outside swap spread moves and other bits and pieces of funding markets here go against us on the trade. So unfortunately, while the core view actually has actually worked out correctly lately, uh, some of the implementation hasn't. So I guess that really speaks to a bit of nervousness creeping into markets. And the fact that we've got some of these plumbing type issues and funding and spread markets coming to bite us um, at this very early stage of the cycle, frankly, the hike cycle, it is a bit worrying. Um, it speaks to markets that are very difficult to trade. And you've got the right view, you need to make sure you can put it on correctly and in the best, cleanest possible way. And really, the only certainty remaining here for us is that there's going to be a lot more volatility still to come. So against that backdrop and against uh, bringing back to the more fundamental point here, um, a central bank which has lost a lot of credibility in the eyes of investors through the poor communications, not particularly helpful for these kinds of trades, which we still continue to like from a fundamental points of view. Um, that's it for me. Thanks, Simon.
1: Thank you for those points, Rob. Uh, Now I'll shift to Canada. A lot has happened in the past two weeks, uh, starting off with the June 1st policy decision and the follow-up progress report the next day. Uh, As a review, the bank hiked by 50 basis points on June 1st, as largely expected, but signaled they may need to be more forceful in policy policy moves going forward, given concerns on inflation and inflation expectations and signs that the economy is in excess demand already. Uh, this suggests the potential for a 75 basis point move at the next meeting on July 13th. On terminal pricing, uh, Deputy Governor Baudry was asked in, in the press conference after the progress report about whether the bank would cause a recession and, and emphasized that inflation was their target. So it implied that um, they would do what they could for, for growth but really inflation was was the very very much the primary focus. Uh, Governor Macklin was a bit more nuanced on the subject last week at the press conference for the FSR. Uh, saying they see a soft landing as achievable, want to bring demand in line with supply but not choke off the economy, um, but also suggested the primacy of inflation expectations there. Uh, looking ahead, uh, we think next Wednesday's May CPI report will be very determinant for the 50 basis point versus 75 discussion uh, at the July 13th meeting uh, headline, greater than 7- 7.5% and or another material increase in the core measures Uh, would likely see pricing solidified around 75 basis points. Uh, We do currently forecast a 50 basis point hike in July, uh, but as noted, we will be watching the the CPI report closely for implications. And also, if the Fed does go 75 basis points tomorrow, then the hurdle is likely lower for a 75 basis point move from the bank in July. Uh, Looking further out, accelerated near-term hike pricing makes some sense as central banks move towards into their neutral policy rate ranges um, but alongside this, we have seen a sharp rise in terminal pricing. So, for example, close to 4% uh, for Canada in the first half of next year. Uh, we think it's much more likely that the bank goes 75 at the July meeting than they reach 4% for the terminal rate, uh, given inflation dynamics expected in the second half of this year and the impact of tightening on a broad economy and as that flows through. Uh, so, overall, uh, so we do think that the, the terminal pricing is uh, is much too high. Uh, relative to what we'd expect to go through. And with that, uh, that'll conclude the call.
2: This content is based on information available at the time it was recorded, and is for informational purposes only. It is not an offer to buy or sell or a solicitation, and no recommendations are implied. It is outside the scope of this communication to consider whether it is suitable for you and your financial objectives.